Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Church is not a place you go to. Church is a family you belong to. Place you go to, it's a family you belong to. So you don't um, look for a place that is nearby or conveniently situated near your residential place or house out of convenience to attend. The principle is if you find your spiritual father, you will find your spiritual family. Not the other way around. You don't find a church to find the spiritual father. You find your father and you find his family to whom God has destined for you to relate. So the moment I found my father in the Lord, which is Pastor Tom and I do, geographical distance, for example, for me means nothing. I can jump in a plane tomorrow and go to Santon where he lives. Let's say if he calls a meeting. Why? I'm not connected to a place. I'm connected to a grace. That is resident in a person. Okay? So my mindset is that way inclined. So it, it, it cajoles me to make serious sacrifices to connect with that grace. Amen. And so I want to encourage you in the same. Today is our 25th session, I think, in Grace Reigns Through Righteousness. And be of good cheer. The series will end by the year ends. <laughs> Before the year ends. Because next, I'm dying to start a whole brand new series next year. Um, that will be very exciting, very practical. But I need to, for the sake of wholeness and completeness, because the stuff goes on the website and people globally are following us. So I don't want to leave gaps in terms of doctrine that we put on public platforms. In recent times, we've been discussing what then, if I'm to live righteously in Christ, and righteousness we defined as the preordained eternal Standards that God has set for all his sons to live by and to, to, to model their behavior after. Everyone say standard. So there's a pre-approved, pre-designed, predetermined standard. God has set the standard. You, his son, must simply know the standard, live by that standard. There's a standard for marriage. There are standards for how you manage your finances. There are standards for how you engage an enemy, Right? In all of life, every expression or part of life, all you must find out is, what is the standard or the principle governing this thing? So someone has, someone has maligned my name, an enemy has dragged my name in the mud. What is the biblical protocols governing that? I must find out what the Bible says about that domain and simply comply. That's righteousness. Righteousness is compliance to a pre-approved, predetermined, eternal standard in God. Right? Now, when you do do that, grace attends you. Because the scripture says in Romans that grace reigns in righteousness. So this series we entitle, Grace Reigns Through or In Righteousness. So the thing is, we want more grace, so we want to have righteous practice. We want to be righteous practitioners, okay? So grace is the thing that we yearn after, we want, and so we, we want to live righteous Lives of the highest integrity before men and before God. Now, 
I've been discussing in recent times then, how do you do this? And we said a few things that help the Son of God live circumspectly, rightly before men and before God. And in recent, the past recent two weeks, I taught and then Quinton taught last week about living in the power of the Holy Spirit and relying on the Holy Spirit to live rightly. There's a beautiful portion in Ezekiel where God said, I will cause, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. So I will, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And so I will put my spirit in you and he will cause you to walk in my statutes. However, he, the spirit, needs a companion. That companion is called the word of God. He needs something to work with. Right? So you must be intensely devoted to the word of God for to harness the fullness of the spirit's power within your life. So tell someone, give the spirit something to work with. And there are hosts of biblical examples, won't go to all of them now, that marry the Spirit's role with the Word of God. Marry the Spirit's role with the Word of God. For today's sermon, which I'm starting now, my 50 minutes starts now. <laughs> right? I'm going to talk about the role of spiritual fathering in overcoming carnality. The role of spiritual fathering in, in living an upright life before God. If righteousness is the thing that I must pursue, yes, I can rely on the Spirit's power. For example, we said I mustn't leave my status as God's son, that identity, um, etc. But I want to talk briefly, and Mark confirm what I need to talk about, and you'll see why at the end of the sermon. In the text he read at the celebration of the table of the Lord, you'll see how all this blends together, right? So, everyone say spiritual fathering. Now, spiritual fathering is a huge topic, and I have several uh, audio sermons on my website available for you to listen and study the details of this phenomenon. But essentially, what we are teaching is this, that everyone needs a spiritual father to whom you relate in terms of accountability but the job of that spiritual father is to basically share doctrine with you, share the word of the Lord with you. Because through the word of the Lord, grace comes to you. And what happens in the process is you become uh, provoked in your growth towards maturity in your sonship. So you will grow into Christ-likeness. So you cannot extract the role that spiritual fathers play in the life of the Son of God. Simply stated, left to himself without direct spiritual fatherly involvement, the son cannot mature to the degree that God has intended for him. Everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs somebody. In terms of an accountability, in terms of one to whom you are submitted, it's not a matter of hierarchical domination of one over the other. This is an arrangement that is in the word of the Lord where you say, God is my Father, and that is true. No one is discounting that. God is all of our Father. But God cannot be seen. And so what He has elected to do is, He has elected to make Himself known to you in terms of certain dynamics through using human agencies that will come to you on His behalf. 
So when a spiritual father comes into your life, it's a human, yes, but he functions representatively of God the Father. It's not there to displace the fatherhood, the fatherhood of God, your heavenly Father, but it's there to repre, represent. Okay, so Elisha called Elijah my father, right? A human called another human my 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 father, right? Uh, Paul severally called Timothy my son. What is he implying? I am your, I am your father. Okay, in First Peter five ten. John Mark is clearly identified as Peter's son. So Peter is his father. John Mark is the, John Mark is the son. Ruth is not coming to the fullness of her destiny in Christ without Naomi. There's an, there's an, there, and Naomi represents a spiritual father. Why? I keep saying this, but I need to say it for repetition. Because in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 15... Ruth is described, Ruth 4.15, Luke, Ruth is described as better than seven sons. So if Ruth is categorized as son in the narrative, it, you must, when you read this book, you don't read it as a story of a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. You read it as a story of a spiritual father, Naomi, speaking and guiding a son into a destiny. Okay? So everybody needs somebody. Uh, Joshua needs Moses. Esther needs Mordecai. Elisha needs Elijah. Timothy needs Paul. John Mark needs Peter. Okay? I tell someone, you too need somebody. You know, I, I joke, I was joking, I laughed to myself in the reading in John this week when we read John chapter 5. And the man that was at the gates, not at the gate, at the pool, Bethesda, remember, for 38 years, he's his first excuse for not being healed is what? I have no man. I'm in this position because I have no human, I have no man to take me to a place that will heal my infirmity to a place of wholeness. So I want to impress upon us all, and you know, this church is very strong on the principle of fathering, but I want you to take it to the next level. Your father is a representation of the Heavenly Father in your life. When He speaks, He doesn't speak His opinion. He speaks as the Lord. Right? And there are too many portions of Scripture that corroborate this. Just one because of time. I haven't started preaching though. Genesis 49. I'm just giving you background because you sometimes forget these basic things. Because everything I'm about to tell you comes from this backdrop. You might not accept some things because you don't understand the framework. But just quickly in Genesis, Genesis 49 verse 1, it says, Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I might tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Who's speaking? Who's summoned? Who's talking? Jacob. Not so? He summoned his sons. He says, Come and I will tell you what's going to happen to you in the last days. And in verse 2, Gather together... And hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to who? Listen to Israel, your father. Israel and Jacob are exactly the same person. He says, gather to Jacob, but when I speak, who speaks? Israel. Right? So when you come, the point is, you are coming to Randolph as your spiritual father with all my flaws, 
with all my deficiencies. But when I speak, I don't speak as Randolph. Don't note the Jacob in me. Highlight the Israel in me. Because God uses human frailty in and through which to express the perfection of his divinity. Right? So it Jacob, you come to Jacob, but when Jacob addresses you, don't say it's Jacob's view. No, Israel spoke. And Israel means one who prevails with God and one who has, one who has power with God. This principle, I have a whole teaching just on this principle on the website, but I, want, I need to get to where we need to go. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9, the scriptures indicate that God the Father is the Father of our spirits. Okay? Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Now, your spirit came from God the Father. One of the meanings of pate, pate is the Greek word for father. One of the meanings is source. Everyone says source. So it's source or origin or progenitor. In other words, he gives off a result. It's called an offspring. But what results comes directly from him. So he, the father, is spirit. The son is spirit and the Holy Spirit is spirit. All of God, father, son, and spirit is spirit. So when you were born, you were born with a spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit component came directly from his being as spirit. He beget you or begot you. And so your spirit in you comes from God, your, your father. So the heavenly father is the father of your spirits. But Hebrews chapter 13 verse uh, 17 says, Hebrews 13, 17 says the following, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch for your souls as those who will give an account. So if God puts a leader in your life, which we call a spiritual father, what is his focus? He's watching what part of you? He's watching over your soul. Okay. Now, your spirit and your soul, both components, have a mind, will, and emotions. Previously, we have been taught only the soul has mind, will, and emotions. What I think, what I feel, and how I decide. But we can prove it biblically that both your spirit and your soul has a mind, a will, and emotions. Okay? Now, again, I'm just summarizing a long teaching we did. I encourage you to listen to it on the website. It's about almost eight or nine sessions I'm trying to summarize in five minutes. Right? Listen carefully. Your spirit, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, is the lamp of you. Your spirit is the lamp of you. The word of God is also described as a lamp. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. Spiritual fathering biblically is also depicted as a lamp. When they refer to David as a father of Israel, they said you are the lamp or the light of, of Israel. Point being. God with His Spirit, watch, God with His Spirit needs to um, form and mature your being as Spirit. You have a Spirit that is innocent when you are born, but it's not yet perfect. Your Spirit grows in perfection through, listen carefully, the progressive incremental reception of the Word of God. 
Now, Jesus said in John 6, you must have read it this week, the words I speak to you are what? Are spirit. What are words? What's the word of God? Please track with me. Don't let your mind drift. Follow closely. What is the word of God? The word of God is? Is spirit. So what you are hearing is not English. What you are hearing even right now is God the spirit trying to communicate with your, with your spirit. That's why whenever you're in a teaching environment, a word environment, don't first engage the word with the mind of your cognitive capacity. It's not about intellect. Did you understand? It's about what hit you in the spirit. What is the understanding in your spirit? So the mind of your spirit must then educate and lead the mind of your, of your cognition or your, your intellect, your mind, your will, your, your soul. Okay? That is the process. So, God is the father of my spirit. But listen carefully. He's given you a lamp, which is a spiritual father. A light, that light, that father speaks words which are spirit to land on your lamp, which is spirit. Yeah? The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, it says. Right? So it's lamp to lamp. How's your lamp? <laughs> it's lamp to lamp. So watch, when I, if I father you in Christ, I will teach you the word. In that word is grace. My being, my, my whole point is, I'm watching over which part of you? According to Hebrews 13, 17, I'm watching over your soul. But for me to watch over your soul, I have to make your spirit rich. I make your spirit rich with the word of God so that you in your spirit can now lead and educate your soul as to what is right to do in God. Amen? Very important for you to, to understand this. So Deuteronomy, uh, there's a lovely verse, I can't remember it's fine, I think it's 18.11 or 11.18, where God says, these words of mine which you receive, you shall take them and impress them upon your soul. Everyone say impress on your soul. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. So, you see, you hear with the Spirit. So what you're receiving from God, you receive with your Spirit. Because sometimes some things God says won't make intellectual sense to you, but your Spirit is saying, yes. My mind is saying, still got a few questions, can't catch up, but there's a resonance in my. So what you have to allow is the mind of your Spirit to lead the mind of your soul. This verse says, take my word and do what? Im, you see, Tell, tell the person next to you, stop trying to impress people outwardly. The true impression that must take place is in you. Okay? So stop trying to impress outwardly. Your spirit must impress your soul. Alright? It's an inward impression. The word you take in your, your spirit must educate your soul. You say, now soul, wake up. Stop your nonsense. <laughs> stop your, your wandering. The, what I'm receiving as spirit must lead my soul because my soul will make cognitive decisions in life to either please God or displease God, comply or not comply, excuse me, with God's will for my life. And so that impression that you make on your spirit is your responsibility. So I, as your father, watch over that domain of yours, watching over your soul to see how is that process taking place, okay? How is that process taking place? Now, the word that I release to you then will train you in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16, quickly. 
Please track with me. Second Timothy uh, 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And everyone say training in righteousness. Remember I told you about kumnazo. Uh, you're training like in a gym. And what are you training in? Righteous. How to live practically righteous. You are in a gym. Life is a gym. Tell someone life is a gym. Right? Some of you want gym membership. God has put you into one free of charge. Your life is going to teach you, test you, train you. But the word of God, listen carefully, is going to instruct you in how to live righteously. Right? So listen carefully. The word your father gives to you to mature your spirit so that you can impress those words on your soul so you can live righteously in Christ. The word is designed to train you in righteousness. Now, for example, let's use Paul and Timothy as a brief case study. In 1 Timothy 6.11, it says the following, Flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Everyone say flee. Note the words flee. Flee means what? Run away from. Balega. Kick down. Do not stay within the environment that tempts you. Physically distance yourself and... So who is Paul, by the way, to Timothy? Question. He's a spiritual father talking to a spiritual son, and the father is saying to the son, my son, flee. But then he doesn't just say flee, he says pursue. Pursue means follow. Later on, I'll do one of the sessions I need to do before we close this, this, this whole series is this, is what you flee from tells me what you are following. Or what you are following tells me what you are running away from. Right? So he says to his son two things. Some things you kick down, you, you distance, you, you run away from in your bid to attain or pursue or to, to get a grasp of other things. Okay? So, and in context here, yeah, it's the love of money. If you read the previous verses, Paul is saying to son Timothy, don't love money and be careful about the greedy covetousness that kills most men of God. But you, I like the phrase, oh man of God, but what makes you a man of God is defined by what you are running away from and what you're pursuing. Because there are many men of God, and you, on closer inspection, you find out that God is not the God of the man. It is called the man of God. Right? In 2 Timothy, his second letter, this is the second time Paul is, is talking to Timothy, his second letter, 2.22, Now flee from youthful lusts, and pursue righteousness, and other things. Again, something similar. You flee youthful lusts, Timothy. Now, Timothy had youthful lusts. Because Paul would not have occasion to say this to his son if that were not the case. Timothy is uh, held up in Scripture as an iconic son. Because Paul said concerning him, I have no one like him that will naturally care for you. Paul, Timothy was to Paul, theologians say, is the ideal model of what every spiritual son should look like. But it didn't just come there overnight. A father, everyone say a father. A father says to a son, my son, I deal with your lustful tendency in you. 
My son, flee. The father talking to a son. My son, run away from the things that are going to kill your destiny. My son, in the previous verse, Timothy, don't be caught up with the love for money. You old man of God. Run away, Timothy. You see, outside of our father telling a son that, the son has, is left to himself to navigate through life. That's why everybody needs a voice. You know, for the past 24 sessions in the series, essentially what I've been saying every week to you is, men of God, women of God, sons of God in the kingdom, run away from unrighteousness. Keep yourself pure. Follow after the things that make for holiness and righteousness. Now, I'm going to show you how important that activity is when a father has to literally verbalize it to a son and say, be careful. Watch yourself. Okay? The way you're going, I can see you're destroying yourself, destroying your soul. And some people say to me, I don't need a father. I can do this all by myself. Publicly, the most spiritual of individuals in the Bible needed someone. Besides of, of their personal love for God, their personal devotion, and uh, claim to subscribe to righteousness, they all needed a voice. Because when the voice comes, I'm going to show you now, there's something about the command of a father that imparts grace to a son, that helps the son to, to actually do the job and live righteously and practically before the Lord. Those of you who are fathers who have children will know this. Leave your son to himself without any commands and instructions. You might not have one left after you come back. Hmm? Left to themselves, every son needs boundaries. Every son needs borders. Every son needs a father to tell him, watch out for this. Be careful of that. Okay? And you need a voice in your life. Amen. Most often this is done by the process of discipline. Okay? Most often this is done by the process of discipline. So in Hebrews 12 and verse 5, it says the following, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He he disciplines or chastises, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. Everyone say endure discipline. So this is saying endure means, hupamano in the Greek means to stand up under. Endure means it's like pressure brought to bear on you, but you don't crack, and when the pressure is applied, you stand up and you hold your ground. When it says it's likewise with discipline, because when it comes, who likes, this, who likes discipline? Anybody? So yes, I'm, my hand is up. Discipline me. Right? Nobody naturally will gravitate towards discipline. But the scripture says when it does happen, you must hold up under it. You must endure it. Right? Don't crack in the, in the, in the frailty of your, of your soul under the discipline of the Lord because the Lord's discipline is an indication of, see how much I love you. Because when a parent disciplines a son, it's saying, son, I love you so much, not to see you make a wreck of your life, but I have the courage enough to tell you, you are wrong. So get your life in order. 
To withhold correction when you need to correct is proof you don't love the person. But when you correct, you demonstrate, see how much I love you. And you know, I have, to, I have had to correct individuals to the point of sometimes losing the relationship. I would rather lose the relationship and stand clean before God that I have addressed an issue with you. But my issue is not to show you up. My issue is to help you and to love you. All true fathers that I know, whenever they meet our discipline, do so out of a heart of great love. Right? No true father disciplines uh, for any other motivation than to help the son. Okay? Than to help the son. Okay? In verse 8, But if you are without discipline, of which some, of which all have become partakers, then you are our illegitimate children and not sons. Let me just say this to you. If you are saved and you are God's son, at some point in your life along your journey, you're going to have to deal with somebody telling you, I am wrong. If you haven't experienced that, it's coming. The prophecy. It's part of the process by which God tests you. If you are unable to endure discipline, you know what this verse says? You're not a son. You're illegitimate. The word in the Greek is nothos. It literally means a misbegotten child, one who is false or spurious. Okay? I don't want, I don't want, any, I don't want that label to be attached to me that I'm a false or spurious son. Verse 9 and 10 are very important. Furthermore, we've had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and what? And live. But now the father of spirits can't be seen, but the father of spirits will use your spiritual father to correct you. Right? But if it says when your natural biological father corrected you and after your hiding, you still went to hug him. Says, and this, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, hey guys, if what is true in the natural must be true in the spiritual. Don't take umbrage with your spiritual father when he has a need to correct you. You should say, thank you, daddy. Thank you, papa. Thank you. You saved my life. You saved my destiny. Now yeah, verse 10 is the motive for discipline. Verse 10 is very important. It says, They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we might share in his holiness. Everyone say share in his holiness. So in other words, you become a partaker of the holiness of God. That is the ultimate. Is that not the ultimate that you become a shareholder in his holiness? The word partake there literally means to become a shareholder. I want, to be, I want to take part in the divine nature. I want to take part in the, the, the purity, the holiness of my Father. So for me to be a partaker in divine nature, I must endure the process of discipline by a Father. A Father disciplines me because the Father knows I need my Son to take a bite, a chunk, to be, take a share, to grab the divine nature. And make that divine nature be part of Him. But that is going to demand your capacity to listen, to counsel, listen to suggestions, listen to rebuke, listen to correction, to preaching, to teaching, 
For when your spiritual father speaks, sometimes it will be manifest as the discipline of the Lord to you. It doesn't have to be personal, by the way. You don't have to be in my office in a counseling session that has its place. I could correct you even while teaching. Something in your life might be out of sync. And you're hearing the teaching. When the word comes, it comes as a word of correction. What must you do? Endure it. Repent, adjust, so that you become a partaker of the divine nature. Okay? A partaker of the divine nature. And then verse 11 is fascinating. It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. No, no child, when he's getting a hiding, says, yes, daddy, give me more. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Give it to me, dad. No, no. He's screaming his lungs out. Eh? So no discipline seems nice. It's not nice to be told. Listen, you are wrong. You need to adjust here and there. Not pleasant, but the end result is this. It is sorrowful, yet for those who have been trained by it. Watch afterwards. Everyone say afterwards. There's always a, a, a phase called afterwards. There's a period of time called after the discipline. This will be the result. I love this verse. It says it heals the peaceful what? Fruit of what? Of righteousness. And righteousness is what we are after because grace reigns where? In righteousness. So if I'm to come to this fruit of righteousness, I must endure the processes of discipline by a father who loves me enough to tell me when I'm wrong so that I become a partaker of the holy nature of God. Amen. So I've given Pastor Thamo carte blanche to speak to me whenever he feels the need to correct me in whatever manner or way in which he would correct me. And he's been very frontal at times. But guess what? I'm the better person. Right? I realize you see something that I can't see. And he's been very blatant and direct at times. And I have to, I have to check my soul because the natural man becomes offended. I said, no, no, no. And let me just, John Alley gave us a powerful testimony years ago. John Alley? You know John Alley? For those of you who don't know John Alley, if you don't know his writings, please talk to me afterwards. I'll email you some e-books. He's a wonderful apostle from uh, Queensland in, in Australia. But a few years ago, he gave this testimony about he went to visit his spiritual father in the States. Just a casual visit. The guy was fathering him. Spent a few days there with his wife, and over supper, his spiritual father had occasion to tell him something. But he said he felt offended by the content and the manner in which it came across. Right? And then he had to go somewhere with, on an errand with his wife, and in driving, um, the Lord, and he shared this with his wife, the Lord said to him, you've passed the test. The test for him was not to be offended, but to accept the counsel of a father. I want to encourage you, your test is often your offense. But if you can look beyond Jacob and say he speaks, I know you've got freckles, frikies, I know you've got deficiencies, Randolph is not perfect, and maybe he needs to be polished in some areas. But I will never allow the deficiency in his character to take away from the purity of speech when he speaks as the Israel of God because his heart is purely motivated. So as long as the spiritual father is purely motivated in his inclination, 
Sometimes how he speaks can come through the deficiency of his character. Yet the son must say, no, I'm not going to let Jacob offend me. But I will listen to Israel, my father. Okay? That is the key thing that you must understand. Let's look at a few case studies. Okay, we'll start the 15 minutes next week. I'm not going to feel this late. It's just not going to work. I promised you guys next week. Listen, it's our first Sunday here, right? First Sunday. And we've we got a whole lot of stuff prepared next week. So let's just hang out today, okay? I need to get this off, off, off my spirit. Look at a few case studies. Of, of note is Demas. Everyone say Demas. Demas was a fellow laborer together with Paul, especially, excuse me, during his first Roman imprisonment. And he was probably, although the scriptures do not say this outrightly, he was probably a son to Paul, although we cannot be absolutely certain. A few scriptures regarding Demas. Colossians 4, 14. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. And also, Demas. So Demas was a colleague of Paul. I'm saying I'm seeing him as a spiritual son, if I'm reading between the lines. This, he must have been very close to Paul as Luke was. Luke is referred to, the writer of the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. Luke who was with Paul throughout the book of Acts, if you read between the lines. All right? The beloved physician sends you his greetings, as also does Demas. So Demas was very close to Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 22, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Unfortunately, we read this last statement concerning Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy was the last letter that Paul wrote before he was beheaded. The last thing we read about Demas in verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 is, Paul says to Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. So there was a desertion. Everyone say desertion. Having gone to Thessalonica, why did Demas desert Paul? What does Paul offer as a reason? He loved this present world. So it was for no other reason. A son, I think, left a father, in this case, or a fellow worker, for no other reason except the love of the world drew him away from the relationship. The love of the world drew him away from the relationship. Okay? Now the scripture says in 1 John 2 verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is, is not in him. And what is the love of the world? For what's in the world? Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So you've got to marry these two scriptures. When it says, Demas forsook Paul, he loved the world. And John tells us what loving the world is. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. But if any man loves the world, the love of the Father or for the Father is not in that man. For what things are in the world? Three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful. 
pride of, of life. These things drew Demas away from Paul. And unfortunately, he did not allow everything that Paul stood for to help him separate himself from the world. What a spiritual father will do for you, he will help you keep yourself pure and unspotted from the world. Because when he sees you are engulfed by worldly pleasure, and the world yeah, is not the same as John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God, you might say, but this is do not love the world, but John 3, 16 said God loved it. <laughs> for God so loved it. The, the worlds are two different concepts here. Two different completely concepts. When John says that he loves the world, he is talking about the people. But yeah, John says do not love the world. He's talking about the world systems. Everyone say the world systems. Right? He's talking about principles or protocols that govern or regulate the earthly systems. Principles, for example, that are diametrically opposed to that of Christ. Okay, This is exactly what he was talking about. So Demas forsakes Paul, having loved this world. I want to encourage you, never forsake a spiritual father, for the love of the world pulls you away from him. Right? But the opposite is true. The spiritual father has got the capacity to instill within you, the son, a capacity to overcome the world. If you truly harness all of the possibilities attendant with that relationship. Okay. Now, let's look at another example. In Genesis 13 from verse 10. Genesis 13 from verse 10. The example of Paul, of Lot and Abram. Okay. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan that was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoe. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot left, or Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Here's a very sad occasion, because Abram means, what does the word Abram mean? Exalted father. So Abram is the depiction of anything fatherly. Lot should have been, in his disposition, in relationship to Abram, function as a son to Abram. Although they were uncle and nephew, not so? But we see the sad word here. Everyone says separated, right? They separated from each other. See, another example of a son leaving a father. But if you look at the next verse, watch verse 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents where? As far as? So where was Lot's tent pitched towards? Sodom. The next verse tells you what Sodom is like. The men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Now, why would someone like Lot leave a person of Abraham's spiritual character and his first decision is to position his tent toward wickedness? You see, you must never ever underestimate what grace in a father affords a son. Sam Solon said it beautifully. He said, The grace in a father, a father teaches a son restraint until such time as that the son can restrain himself, right? So left to himself, a son cannot face the world. Every son needs the voice of a father 
to help him engage wickedness or overcome it until such time that the son can overcome the world for himself. Okay? So everyone say restraint. So father teaches a son restraint until such time as the son can restrain himself. Okay? So a father will say to a son, don't put your finger, little boy, don't put your finger here. If you do, you'll be powerful. (laughs) You'll you'll know power. (laughs) Lexical power, that is. And little Johnny goes and and he's busy fiddling. What does the dad do? Come and maybe smack him. No, don't do that. This is, I am disciplining you for your good. Then after a period of time, let's say that goes on. Maybe the next year, and the father observes the son, go near it and go away from it. What has the father successfully done? The father has taught his son discipline and restraint until that son can now restrain himself in the face of temptation. Right? So Lot, I believe, left or separated from Abram prematurely, listen carefully, not by that stage having the sufficient grace configuration to engage a wicked culture like Sodom. What was Lot's end? You know, his tent was pitched to Sodom at this stage. But by the time the Lord sent angels to destroy the city, Lot was living in the city. So what you are pitched towards will engulf you. It will swallow you up into its culture. So don't entertain, listen carefully, don't fleetingly entertain light um, attractions to some element of wickedness in you that you think is innocuous. This, is, this, is, this won't hurt me. Be careful. What you are positioned towards, its intent is to swallow you up into its mold. Okay? It's to swallow you up into its mold. And so I want to encourage you, um, in fact, when the angels came to warn Lot to get out of Sodom, where was he sitting? He was sitting in the gates of the city. Now, who sits in gates of any city? Only elders do. By this time, some years later, obviously, Lot had emerged to become a leading figure in the city. But he was a leader in the city, but powerless to influence the city with righteousness because of a disconnection from the grace configuration in, in Abram. Okay? Now, this is very, very important. Judas left Jesus, for example. After Jesus countless times warning him, one of you here will betray me. And he knew it's him. He gave him many times and occasions to repent, not so. But Judas did not take warnings. And what was Judas' end? Suicide. A disconnection from God, an exit out of the kingdom of God into a lost eternity because he did not value, listen carefully, did not value the voice of someone God put in his life to guide, counsel, warn. Okay, this message today is very strong. If we're going to grow in righteousness and in grace, it's not going to be without the voice of a spiritual father guiding us along the way. Everybody needs somebody. Amen? Everybody needs somebody. By the way, what was Lot's end? Where did he live? He lived in a cave after he left Sodom. Not so. After choosing the best plains, well watered everywhere, his end was dislocation, marginalization, outside of the mainstream of things, 
in some hillside somewhere, living in a cave, totally cut off from divine purpose. Okay? I don't want to be like that. Tell someone next to you, value the voice of a father. You know, value the voice of a father. The voice of a father is key to grow you up into maturity in Christ. Okay? It's absolutely key. Do you remember the occasion or the story of the prodigal son? Yeah? The prodigal son, you know the story, the younger son came to his father and said, Father, give me my inheritance now. It was premature, listen carefully to how this goes. The request in the younger son for his inheritance from his father was premature. He was wanting to handle an estate, some of money, for which he did not possess the required character. It's four, right? So what had happened? He squandered it on riotous living. He engaged prostitutes excessively, partying and lascivious living. In other words, he gave himself over to the flesh. Whenever someone leaves the house of a father designed to watch over him, that son leaves grace that is designed to discipline him to live righteously. Right? So, in fact, when you think about Lot, I think Lot separated from Abram because Lot knew I cannot express desire for Sodom while being close to Abram. Abram represents restraints in my earthly carnal nature to pursue a Sodomic or Sodomic life. So it's sometimes, though not always, sometimes, I must say this carefully, sometimes, though not always, a son will desert a father because the son knows the father will not tolerate that kind of disposition, behavior within his precincts. But listen carefully. Here's the challenge. You might not leave physically. You might be here physically, but you've left principally. You're here physically, but you've left the principles. Right? It's like a son staying in your house, but has left the principles by which you, you stand for. Okay? It doesn't work. Right? Now, when he was in the pigsty, remember, say, remember the pigsty? He came right down, and I love how Dr. Segi says this. The pig spoke to him when his fathers could not. <laughs> and he realized, what on earth am I doing here? And he said, the servants in my father's house are better than what I am experiencing here. So be careful that, listen carefully, when you don't obey the voice of a father, God sometimes will orchestrate uh, experiences of difficulty that sometimes speak loudly to you that you are in the wrong place. Right? And what did he say? I will arise and wh- do what? And go back to my father. Right? And this is how the Bible records when he came back. Verse, f- verse 18. Verse 18 it says, Luke 15. I will get up and go to my. Please just say this to me. Get up. I said, let's say, get up. Say, go to your father. This is a word for us today. Get up. Go to your father. I'm not saying this because some of you have been with us for a long time. But I'm saying you need to harness the fullness of what the relationship affords you. 
Get up and move closer. Get up and move more intimately. And I'm more intrigued by what he will say to his father. He said, I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against who? Not against you. I have sinned against everything you represent. What you represent is heaven. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. The word in is ayun, the Greek text, the, the Greek phrase ayun, in, translated in English here, literally means before you or in your presence. So we get a principle from this text. Anything fatherly represents a heavenly economy. Anything fatherly represents the domain of heaven. So then now, what is heaven? What does the Bible say about heaven? It says, heaven is his throne. Everyone say throne. And earth is footstool. What do you think, what image in your mind conjures up when you think of the word throne? Who sits on thrones? Kings. So the word throne denotes rulership and governance. Also issues of authority. So everyone say rulership. Say governance. Say authority. But Jesus prayed, taught us to pray like this. Let your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. So heaven is a place where the will of God is done. So symbolically, heaven represents to us purpose, divine purpose being done, authority, rulership, governance. When the son came back to the father, the father said, I like how the son says, the son says, I have not sinned against you. I have sinned against everything heaven represents. I have, I have not regarded divine authority. I have not regard, regarded divine rulership. Divine government. I have went against all the purpose and the will of God, my Father in heaven, but it's, it's vested in your earthly body as you, my Father, but you do not represent a human. When I say you, I see heaven. Right? Now, all spiritual fathers represent the authority of heaven. That is why when, when there are violations against humans that function representatively as spiritual fathers, it's a violation of everything that heaven stands for. Okay? So I've sinned against heaven and in your and in your sight. So I want to encourage you, uh, this you could apply to natural, physical, biological fathers, but more so to spiritual fathers who are accurate, who are pure, who are authentic. I'm not talking about a, a spurious leader that is not representative of the Father, the Heavenly Father. I'm talking about a Father that is thoroughly representative of God His Father. Amen? So, for example, if Pastor Thamo instructs me regarding a matter, my father in the law. When I view the instruction, I, I receive it as though heaven is talking to me. It's not a man talking to me. It's the voice of a human, but it's the voice of God in the voice of men that I, I focus on and I, and I receive. So depending how you receive the word will determine how you respond. If you simply say it's the voice of a man, then you can respond to it as a man has spoken. But if you regard the voice of a man in the voice of, the voice of God in the voice of men, you would regard it as truly God has, has spoken this to me. And what, what I love is the grace of the Father here. Okay? The absolute grace of the Father. 
Was he willing to accept the son back? Yeah. Did the, why did the son have courage to go back to the father? When he was in the pigsty. I will go back. Why? Because he knows the grace of fathering. The grace of fathering is very patient, very kind, very compassionate. Right? They don't, a father will not condone your error. But true fathers see beyond your error to your potential. Right? So they won't put you down because of where you are in terms of your failing. A true father says, I can see, son. But now you're coming back to regard heaven, heaven's authority in this relationship represent in my person. And you're going to see greater possibilities attendant with results um, in this process. Proverbs 20, 20 sounds a caution. He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in the time of darkness. Remember I spoke to you at the beginning of the sermon on the word lamp? Right? Does not the scripture say the spirit of a man is the, the lamp of the Lord? Does not the word say thy word is a lamp to my feet? Does not alter the scripture allude to spiritual fathering symbolically as a lamp? But he who curses, in other words, you despise the need for someone to speak into your life as a spiritual father. You reject that. What goes out in your light, in your life? Your lamp. No light. You'll be in darkness. Yeah? Ask your neighbor, how's your lamp? <laughs> how's your lamp? Right? How's your lamp? The word of God can light your lamp. Okay? Now, because of time, I'm going to leave a few scriptures out here because there's just, I promised you, oh, we're really over time. Okay. Time goes fast in this building, I think, <laughs> than the previous one. <laughs> time just galloped away. We haven't even got to the kernel of, okay, no, let's just, I believe, let's just stop here. Because if I start this, you're going to be another half an hour here. <laughs> okay. Tell someone, don't curse father or mother. I want you to come to a new place of respect for the voice of God released through your spiritual leader. When it's, when it's sounded forth, it's not sounded as an opinion. It's sounded forth as the word of the, as the, word of the Lord. Okay? I'm going to have to conclude this perhaps on, 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 on Tuesday when we meet, just for about 20 minutes before I get into some practical things regarding our movement here to this venue. But there's, there's, there's a kernel of what a father sees in a son where the son cannot see of the same in him. Father sees potential. Father sees hope. And I want to declare to all of you, I see great hope in all of you. I see that you will become all that God has destined for you to be. That's the, really the word God gave me for the house today, that say to your people with all of their, some of their personal failings and deficiencies. God sees a dimension of potential in you that is waiting to unearth and to come to the fore. The thing that bound you before will no longer bind you again. Where you've tripped up before, even in unrighteousness, God is saying you're going to well up in righteousness and overcome. It's going to be by the hand of the Lord. But I say that to you as your leader. I say that to you not as a well wish. I say that to you as an impartation of something true regarding you. You are, it is going to be true for you, and you will experience it in the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Lift, lift up your hands to the Lord. This, 
this message is left hanging without a conclusion. But I believe you already got the gist and the word of the Lord for today. The Lord sees you as his son. And the Lord brings you back to the need for fathering, the requirement for you, for a voice to be more pronounced and amplified in your world. And that you would become all that God has destined for you to be. There's great hope that God, this is the word I have for you, church. God sees great hope in you. God knows you're going to succeed. You'll come to all that God has destined for you. That's why when Mark read the table of the Lord's scripture, Jesus did not condemn the woman caught in the act of adultery. But he saw something greater in her. In the most serious of moral violations, Jesus saw something of worth in someone that could have been condemned by the religious order of her day. And I say the same to you, church. God silences this, the voice of those that condemn you. He says, go your way and sin no more. Today is the start of a brand new day for you. Live righteously unto me as my son and as my daughter. And be empowered by my grace to be all that I've called you to be, says the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we lift up our hands to you. And we ask in Jesus' name that you be empowered. You empower us. We be empowered by you this day to live as you would expect us to live. Because, Father, you see things in us. You see hopes and possibilities in us that sometimes we cannot see in ourselves. But today we accept your word. Receive your impartation. And I pray great grace and peace be upon us all. I pray, O oh God, in every person's life, let there come such a flow of your anointing and your grace and your Holy Spirit even now. Come, church, just open your heart to receive. I, I say to you, the Holy Spirit will cause you to walk in the statutes of the Lord as you submit to his word. Let there be this effervescence. Let there be this, this buoyancy that you now have within the fabric of your spirit. Cause us to walk in your statutes, God. Cause us to honor you in ways that will please you. In everything we do and say, let it be pleasing to you. For ask us in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen.